0: days in the shade of some big old trees. Hello, Jules Holland.
1: Hello, how lovely to be here. Jane, it's very nice to be with you today.
0: Well, oh, very nice for you to be with us. Thank you so much. and I were thinking about when we first came together and knew you. It's sounding very
1: biblical so far, if I may say so. Yes, well,
0: I've been watching The Crown, so I'm very much in that sort of mode. Not that that's biblical, but... (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Well, I think I met you because I was on your radio show with Roland. Yes. Years and years and years ago like in the early 90s i think
1: that's right i think roland and i took you out to dinner and then we saw you in a couple of plays that were at which were excellent
0: thank you like yes you took me to the caprice and
1: you gave you food poisoning
0: as a treat steak tartare and then had terrible stomach cramps and had to lie (laughs) down on the floor in the caprice yes Yes. and, um, and then go to the loo and um and try and Release my wind And and Roland and I <laughs>
1: supported you By having sort of martinis and chatting
2: <laughs> I imagine that you were sort of like pressing on Jane's stomach, because like, I'm sure that she needs to release that wind. She's always trumping. She's a terrible <laughs> trumper, Jules. I don't really know that. I think you know both, that. Both,
1: both, both of our heads were gently laid upon her stomach, I think, <laughs> uh, for a little rest after our dinner. But we, we were concerned and, and, and called for her the next day. So it was a... I wouldn't want you to think we were some heartless, heartless brutes that were just sort of self
0: interested, sort no, of scoffing you were out very, martinis. No, You were very kind. You were wonderful. Was there a
2: large gas cloud over your <laughs> uh, you lived in Islington then? Was there a large gas cloud in Islington?
1: I think there probably was. Over a whole a whole <laughs> whole parts of London were swathed in a fog. Um,
2: <laughs> I've been in that fog, Jules, so yes. mm. tell you what. It's a frightening it's place to, get- to be.
0: It really is. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Um, okay. um, so then, Esther, we uh, came together with Jules on hunting Venus, and because you, you, Jules, brilliantly wrote the theme tune with Nick. We Vivian. did some of the
1: music. That's right. I think I got the job because I, I owned some some keyboards that had been <laughs> it was set in the, it was like a ni- it was an 80s pop group wasn't it
0: yeah, yeah that's, that's right, right.
1: and yes. I had some I had some of those keyboards left over from sort of the squeeze period so I got the job because I had the right equipment um, uh, and so it was great fun it's good. rather good film
0: mm, do you yes. remember the theme tune
1: I'd, I'd be hard pressed to hum it now without sort of looking it up can
0: you sing it Jane it was sometime sometime on a trip to Uranus that's Saturn, right. Pluto, Mars, who can blame us? Yeah.
2: Great. Only sometimes yes.
0: then um, we get lots, lots of innuendo.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and normally, as Kenneth Williams always says, I mean, if I if I see a bit of innuendo in a song, I whip it out immediately. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: That's very good. Jewels,
2: yes. I've got, um, I then didn't meet you again until I came on the Hootenani with the Paul Whitehouse when we did Nurse And I just wanted to, I don't think you'll remember this Because I know you You must have a million guests of the Hootenani in your mind But I remember it so proudly because um, I did a, an impersonation of an animal Into my pint glass, and I'm going to do it now. And oh, it was it was it was
1: it was a highlight of my new year. Please treat us to it again. (laughs) It was really good.
0: It's It's really good.
1: I mean, it's it's one of the best um, chicken impersonations that I've (laughs) we've ever had.
2: Actually, it wasn't a chicken. I'll give you one last guess. Hold on. (laughs) Is it is it is it a
1: Bavarian um, warthog? (laughs)
0: No, Jane. Have you got any guesses? Oh, um, a um, a very rare type of grizzly bear.
2: No, it wasn't. It was a Sumatran tiger.
0: <gasps> ah, yes. That's what, and that's what
1: everybody wrote in to say. They were so <laughs> delighted to hear that because they hadn't heard that sort of thing for some time on the <laughs> on, on mainstream television, and it was great to have it back. <laughs>
2: Jules, I've got some little questions for you to do, to do with bees, to get you in the mood. It's like well, a little mini, mini quiz. Would you be up for it? I
1: would. And I mean, I should say that I've, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a bee fan. And, and when <gasps> I was first invited to, um, uh, on this programme, to be part of it, um, I um, was very excited because my main interest at that time was the, the use of bees in surveillance and espionage. But... Hmm. Um, since then, mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of, quite a bit of research, let me tell you, and I've found out quite a little Ooh. bit more what, what, what the great, uh, you know, the mythology and the um, and, 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 and previous uses and beliefs attached to bees. So I, I'm looking forward to sharing those with you. But I'm looking Ooh. forward to your quiz now.
2: Okay, then. So I'll start with number one. Mm-hmm. Name the band from the Isle of Wight who take their name from bees. Ah, Bee Bumble and the Stingers. It's actually the Bees. That was oh, nice. an easy one. Yeah. Nice. But let's nice. see. What about this one? Who had a hit in 1962 with the instrumental nut rocker?
1: Bee Bumble and the Stingers again. Be-
2: Yay! Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> well done. And yes. number 3, name the Swedish garage rockers fronted by Howlin' Perla Alkma Vist, can never say the name, who wrote the song Hate to Say I Told You So. The bees? The hives.
1: The <gasps> hives, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I've confirmed that, yeah.
2: <laughs> and here we are. There's only two more left.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the theme- honey. The, the honeycombs?
2: <laughs> yes, that's it. Yes, the fee. The theme. Last one, hang on. Bumblebee Sting. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. And the final one. Who recorded yep. a version of Honey Dripper by Joe Liggins, Liggins. in
1: 1990?
0: Me. Yay!
2: <laughs> <laughs> did that get you in the mood?
1: It certainly did. No doubt. You've all got um, the multi-volume copy of The Golden Bough, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the study of yeah, magic and uh, religion by Sir James Fraser, mm-hmm. um, written in the early part of the 20th century, <laughs> where he's made a study of religions and cults around the world uh, and reports his findings. But I did look in a, in the index and found a couple of things yeah, uh, which I thought were of interest. So, for instance, well, first of all... Um, that the muses in Greek mythology mm-hmm. were, had a great affinity with bees and bees were associated with artists and poets because, mm. of course, they were supposed to have put the honey on their lips which would allow them to utter great poetry and song. Ooh. So Ooh. there's a good old bee helping us out there.
0: And that's just yes. regular honey, not like rolled jelly or anything like that, uh, just uh, a, a, reg- a regular bit of honey.
1: Exactly. And it's like it was a honey type melody that would flow from their lips, uh, much like the type you get you know, in the squirty sort of packets, you get the squirty plastic things that which are quite a useful dispenser, I think, don't you? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I know mm. probably the purists don't go with that, but I think that's. No, how. we don't. So if you can imagine, if you can imagine being on a hot bath and having that honey squirted at you, that's what listening to the to the lo- a lovely song would be like after your lips had been tainted with, you know, no doubt Aretha Franklin just put a little bit of honey Ooh. on her lips um, prior to singing but, a song. And then she Caruso. had a
0: honeyed voice.
1: Precisely, exactly. But, but I don't know if it's, if they eat lots of honey or devour lots of honey or do smearings. I don't know. Anyway, if I, I was blowing the dust off of a a few great leather volumes here. Mm -hmm. And I also came up, um, I I discovered, um, uh, on the volume of the Transmigration of Human Souls, which no doubt you've been um, reading over the last few days. Oh, Uh, yeah, we are. Yes, yes. Uh, But um, Plato suggested, but although some people say he was only saying it as a sort of something to say rather than necessarily really believing it, that he held that... Um, that for, the, for the, the transmigration of human souls after death into the bodies of animals is a punishment or a degradation, um, uh, uh, entailed by the soul's weakness. In other words, if you've been acting like a bit of a twat, then you're going to come back as a certain creature, mm. and if you've been absolutely a, a, a beyond reproach, uh, then you sort of get to meet the, the gods, according to Plato. Anyway, mm-hmm. so and he thought, so these are the examples he gave. So, from the souls of gluttons, sots and rakes would go into the bodies of asses. Mm-hmm. The souls of robbers and tyrants are born again into wolves and hawks. But the souls of, listen to this, sober, quiet people, untinctured by philosophy, I don't know if that means a bit dull and sort of stupid, mm. I'm not quite sure, come to life as bees and ants. So wow. there you go. Wow. You I know. wonder
0: why. What and do you, do you think, think about then, that, then? then they can learn something greater, and they can be part of a, a wonderful workforce?
1: Good question. I'm not sure. I'll have to mm. read the next volumes mm. um, of uh, to, to actually report back fully on that. So yes, in mm. mythology, they work very well. The bee, you know. Uh, um. Also, I think mm. the Egyptians have great big um, uh, uh, monuments to the ancients that are in the shapes of beehives.
0: Really? Mm.
1: You weren't expecting that. I've, I've, I've surprised everybody, including you myself. You are the
0: historian. Yeah, Exactly. I'm,
1: I'm, the, I'm the keeper of the bees' history. Yeah. Do you, out of interest, so do you both keep bees?
2: I'm yes, a beekeeper. Does. I'm a beekeeper, Jules, and I've mm-hmm. been keeping bees for, um, well, for 12 years um, on my allotment up in Crouch End. Um, and yeah, and I've Jane was interested in keeping bees at one point. So the, in this podcast, I've been trying to put her off keeping bees, <laughs> and she's been very
0: successful so yes.
1: far. Yes, <laughs> well, I mean, once Jane realised that it was like, very much like me, maybe Jane realised that it, it suddenly you you didn't just turn up and see them a couple of times a year, and they sort of thanked you, and you went away again. There was there was a bit more sort of maintenance involved, and everything. yeah
0: oh, well, yeah, yes. and
2: genocide. Yes. Yeah. Have you got bees then, Jules? <laughs>
1: Well, only in my bonnet, so to speak. Um, yeah. No, no, we, we, well, I do in our garden. There's sort of, you sometimes get a hive. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I, you know, as so long as you leave them alone, they leave you alone. And I, I do like them. They say they're a messenger. For, I remember but always being sort of rather frightened of bees mm. until I was with the, um, the daughter of Clough Williams Ellis. Of course, Clough Williams Ellis, being the architect who created Port Merion, is a great architectural influence on me. Anyway, his daughter presented me. With a plate after I opened a, a, a thing for them down there. And a huge bee came, and, and the gathered sort of dignitaries um, mm. all sort of started sort of blubbering and running a mock, you know, sort of running because of this one bee, big bee was running. And she said, Stop, what's the matter with you? It's, it's just simply a messenger from the gods. Aww. And if we know is, of course, mm. that's all right then. And after yeah. that, I realised there was nothing to be frightened of, you know, they were just, you know, uh, would I be right in, in, in thinking of Esther?
2: Yeah I I think so I think well the bees for me I always think they're they're a real sort of grounding element in my life you know so when they come to me or when I'm doing the beekeeping I feel so in the moment and so present and I think um You know, going back to when I did the Sumatran tiger impersonation, I think I was sort of thinking, well, bees have only got a tiny little buzz and a tiny little weenie voice, and they can't really... You know, they can't really shout for help in a way that a big tiger can. No, I never thought of that. Can. Yes, yeah, so yes, only, but within their knows... colony,
0: um, presumably they can. Presumably they've not got a little quiet buzz within their colony. Yes, yeah, and but... is there indeed? Is there a
1: hierarchy? Esther? you know, like we know mm. the queen bees up the top there, but are there are there sort of generals, lieutenants, um, mm. a middle <laughs> management layer, um, so forth. <laughs>
2: Yeah, there are. Um, well, I'm I'm sure you already know that all the workers in the hive are female, but they all do have different jobs. So as soon as they're born, they come out and the first little job is polishing the cell that they came out of and getting it really clean. Oh. Um, you know, with their mops and little brushes. And Jane had been very good at this job. Mm-hmm. Um, they get the, the the cell prepared for the next little egg to be laid, and yes. then they move on through different little jobs. So then they become a nurse and they, yeah. they feed their little lava up to a thousand times a day, you know, keep keep giving it a bit of pollen and a bit of nectar yep. and, and mm. get it f- nice fattened up and then after that they, their next job is um, they start to produce wax um, yeah. and they start to build wax and they, they produce these little tiny discs um, which they mould into wax and then their final job is before they go outside is they become guards, so oh. they guard the front of the hive, so that's the, the the when they become a bit more tough they're at the front of the hive checking who comes comes in and out and then after that that's about a 3 week process and then after that they become foragers
1: so they're pretty busy mm, it also it? does it, it they do sound like they a little bit like the sober quiet people untinctured by philosophy that were described mm. to us um mm. uh, you know they're not they're not going out running a mock are they no. no.
2: I mean, once they start going out collecting nectar, I bet they this sort ought of to do because they go, you know, they go mad for it then. They're going mad for nectar and, and then they come back and do a crazy waggle dance to show their sisters where to collect the, the forage and they sometimes can get very excited by that. And if it's a it's a super super forage that they've found, mm-hmm. they can almost waggle dance the other oh. workers who are showing their waggle dance. They can waggle dance them off the comb and, and with a strong pheromone they can exude to sort of show that their forage is the best one and everybody's got to go and find that
1: oh I like the sound <laughs> of that but do they do they resent the fact you think that then uh, after all of this tremendous hard work that they've been sort of doing with their sober quiet ways um, mm-hmm. that then their wax is just smeared all over our furniture to make it a bit shiny and then and their honey stuck in my coffee to make it a bit more agreeable do you think they were right about that or do they think hold on hold on a minute, mm. we do all yeah. this and then they just they scoff it. I mean, you know.
2: On a good year, bees do make too much of everything. So mm. that's why the um, Apis mellifera, which is the European honeybee that we see, you know, they, they've got a massive colony and so they do make excessive amounts of everything because they're so busy if the colony is strong. So I suppose that's why people have always taken the excess from them. But... Um, you know, so I don't think they're that miffed. But sometimes well they are miffed when you come and um you come and take the honey off. You know, they do go a bit mad actually. And that's why the beekeeper has to, you know, obviously wear a net and um get a bit of smoke to try did, and calm them down.
1: Did did Jane have to wear one of those? Did you wear one of those, Jane, when you were when you were um when you had looked at the bees at the allotment there? Did you have a great big sort of um two thousand and one Space Odyssey suit on type of thing?
0: Uh no, I decided to go <laughs> naked. Oh. <laughs> I thought I'm going to go in there brave and see if the bees accept me. And, yeah. um, and they did, didn't they, Esther? They just covered yeah. me and um, welcomed they got the me. S- they did get the stingers out, though, Jane, didn't they? No, they didn't. I, they didn't get the stingers out. I wasn't stung in my private parts. You know, Esther has been stung, <laughs> stung a couple of times in her private regions. But surely, is that, but
1: I mean, without watching to pry, is that because Esther was forgetting to wear her underpants? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I didn't have my steel underpants mm. on that day.
0: Mm. I should have had them on, but beekeeper's pants, yes. <laughs> didn't have them. But in, in response, really, I, yes, I did wear a suit, Jules, and I've worn rather ad hoc footwear as well um, mm. that Esther has created for me from bubble wrap.
1: Because you oh. don't want them creeping up those little gaps. Just when you've got home and it's all all over, there's suddenly a bee sort of flies out the bottom of your trousers.
0: Well, no, no, it was because I forgot my socks. Oh. I don't know whether I've ever asked you, Esther, when you were describing the different jobs that the bee goes through, the different rankings. Oh, um yeah. When we did our candle making, I don't know whether I ever asked you, how do they make the wax? They've got
2: these little holes in their... Um, near, in their head region, not like ears, not like our wax comes out for our ears, but they've got these wax glands mm-hmm. and the wax Goes, comes out of there, like in a, in these little discs, and then they they mould it really, and they heat it up to a temperature, and they almost make these bubbles, these round little bubbles. But of course, when they all join up, they make the hexagon. Oh. So they, they don't come out as hexagons. Is that the right word? Hex? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm, yeah. I'm dyslexic. Um, yeah. So they don't come out as that. They come out as bubbles, and then they all join together in this big wax. You know,
1: piece. Just that's reminded me. Of course, their um, hexagonal shape.
2: Yes, uh, that's it. Is,
1: is how great that, that, that. I mean, it's quite. I mean, I don't know about these things. No doubt the phone lines will be jammed when I say this. But there's mm. not so many things that are so geometric in nature as those hexagonal shapes that they come up with, are mm. they? I mean, let's face it. Mm. It's like a 1970s Brutalist bus garage or something <laughs> like that that they've, they've done all by themselves there. I and know. they were doing them before, well before anybody thought of the, of the Brutalist bus garages or the lovely sort of uh, David Hicks wallpaper from the 1970s that we, we, we all had, <laughs> you know. But they were, they, were, they were ahead of the game. That's what I'm saying.
2: Hmm. Yeah. You know, in
1: the 18th century, they would have looked at that, you know, and in the, and in the, um, in, in, in the 12th century, they would have looked at that. Yes, and, exactly. And, uh,
0: exactly. They've been going forever. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to
2: do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
1: I mean, honey has a great. I mean, I do. I mean, this is true. My great aunt, who was 104, used to have honey in her tea and coffee, and she attributed that to a, a big a, as being a big contributory factor to the fact she got to 104 and was sort of just living at home, minding her own business. Was that good? honey? what do you want? Mm-hmm. Um, she, well, she liked she liked manuka honey, but oh. I don't. To be honest, I don't really like the taste of it. I prefer so it wasn't I the prefer... squeezy honey
0: from a, a supermarket then.
1: No, but I do like the ones for, if there's a local. You know, there's a local fellow that makes the honey, and I think that you don't get hay fever mm. from local things if you have mm. a local honey. But what, Jane? What do you use the, uh, the the honey for?
0: Well, I also put it in my tea, but it's a cheap version that I put in my tea because I feel that to put an expensive. Honey in tea would be wasteful. I wonder whether the boiling water reduces its, its potency. So, Esther. Mm.
2: Well, to be honest, Jane, no, I think, you you know, if you use perhaps not so boiling water could be good, but actually you're cheating yourself there because, you know, there's so many different honeys that have got different properties, you know, some are good for calming you, some are good for, you know, antibacterial uh, and all that sort of thing. So you, you're cheating yourself. If, if you can get these one flower, single flower honeys, like, you know, dandelion honeys, very good for the liver, you know, like... um. Uh, Heather honey, uh, very full of antibacterial stuff – calming honeys let's think of a calming honey well some of these madagascan honeys that i've been tasting lately mm-hmm. you know um some of them have got very calming uh calming properties and people use these single flower honeys uh mm-hmm. for for thousands of years they've used them for this for different medicinal qualities if they go on a particular flower that comes through into the honey and gives you that property so they're really really good so use the good ones use the good, the, like um, like um, Jaws's auntie, you know. I think she was right using that that single flower uh, manuka honey. Right. Mm. Okay. But, yeah. I mean,
1: are there are apart from consuming honey for general well-being, are there any way other, other sort of unusual things that we uh, tips where we can use honey? In yeah. other words, perhaps just a little bit of honey on the windscreen prevents it misting up, or or. Yeah. Um, a little bit of honey on the uh, on the ass crack uh, means you don't have to have it whacked so often. <laughs> Whatever, you I don't know. You can
0: put them on wounds, can't you? You can put honey on wounds, can't you, Esther? Yeah,
2: that's it. But um, you unusual things like you know, like you were just saying, you could put it perhaps you know on the doorbell to make it ring properly. But there mm. was the, the famous case of um, Mick Jagger. He did. Um, he was supposed to have gone to some sort of ritual where he put his stinger into some sort of bamboo thing and it was full of honey and, and bees and then he got stung and it oh. gave him the effect that he desired.
1: Ooh. Oh, well, there, there you are. Actually, I've got, a, I've got a, uh, a, a showbiz story. Yeah. Which Ronnie Wood told me, mm. which is he went to a model railway shop with Rod Stewart Mm-hmm. But it was like it was. They had a show that afternoon, but it was in New York City, and and, and there was a a sign on the window that said yes, outside the railway shop, "Any ladies, please knock before entering." An alert, and did, but not men. It just said, "Ladies, please." What? he thought, "What does that mean?" I didn't think anything of it. They went in. The man comes out from behind the counter, and they said, "Oh, we we'll just come to see a couple of things in the shop," and then he suddenly, the man behind the counter, uh, just completely collapses. You know, and they thought, "What's the matter with him?" And it turned out that he was comp- he was allergic to hairspray, mm. and wa- and I think oh, Ronnie was wearing a oh. bit of hairspray, oh. and so he just completely. That's what the sign was all about. But 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 then another person <laughs> came out from the back of the shop and said, "We we'll give him a little bit of coffee with honey, and it will revive him."
0: Oh, and, and did it? Mm.
1: Uh, I think so. Yes, for mm. a few moments, for, enough for him to to make his peace. With so the caffeine yeah.
0: and the <laughs> caffeine would kind of jolt him into. Awareness again, but what? what but what would the honey do?
1: I think it was it worked as a, as a as an antidote to being allergic to hairspray. Mm. But I wouldn't recommend this to anybody who is allergic to hairspray to, to, to experiment because I have no medical training or knowledge whatsoever. Mm. So if you are allergic to hairspray and you've heard this, don't then <laughs> try, try spraying some hairspray with a cup of coffee and honey next to you, thinking, "Oh, that will sort that out," because it might not. It might make things loads worse. <laughs>
2: You know what that re- that reminded me of, Jules is that um once I was helping this guy put in uh, install a beehive, um he got some bees and they they'd they swarmed in his garden, so he put them in a, a hamper and then he so I went to try and get the bees out of the hamper and put them into a beehive anyway. I, we were sort of trying to brush the bees and shake them into the box and everything. And then I turn round because we've been nice. bending over for a long time. I turn round and the guy that I was trying to sort this, this job out for, I turn around and he had a big, Cluster of bees on his head, and it oh. was like a beehive. It was oh. a bee, a real beehive on he his head. Was he unaware of
1: it? Was he aware of
2: it? No, he didn't know. So he, he had the suit on and everything, but because he was bending over, I think the queen must have crawled onto his head, oh. and then all the bees must have followed onto his head, and it really, literally made a beehive on his head. And I turned round, and I saw this <laughs> beehive on his head. <laughs> stop laughing I couldn't stop laughing I think the queen's on your head and all the bees have gathered on his head
1: and what did he say what did he say How, what was
2: his response well he couldn't see it he uh, couldn't see that he had a, he had a full on beehive on his I head it. And if I mean, only he could really have is... seen it it was a joyous like, joyous yes, quite sight quite
1: frightening I would have thought as well but nice to look at a bit like sort of if you had head lice but Ooh. like much prettier <laughs> yeah. But what about um, ornamental hives you know for instance, hmm. I think um, Louis the Fourteenth probably at Versailles mm. oh, would have yeah. had i'm guessing now but would have one made in the shape of a sort of a Chinese pavilion you know mm. or maybe at Chatsworth in the eighteenth century they'd have had one um, in the shape of um, a sort of a, a a great big coronet or something. Are there any, any interesting, you know, modern hives that people have or or, or interesting yeah. sort of ornamental things? Where do people stand on that?
2: Yeah, well, interestingly enough, going back to Wolfgang Buttriss, the artist, he actually um, caught a swarm and put it inside a cello. Oh. And mm-hmm. the bees lived in there. They filled it with wax and they lived happily for a whole season in that cello. Um, well, they did make, they make music? Uh, the, uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, they did put a recording into it and um, a little mini microphone. Um, but but actually, they lived in that. So bees, bees will make a a colony in anything that they feel is right for them. I mean, so it's it's hmm. quite in the gar in a
1: garden. it looks quite nice, and you've got the sort of the green grass and the hmm. uh, and, and the dark hedge and something, and then you have sort of the white painted hive of some ornamental design, or maybe mm. a, a miniature um, Brutalist bus garage, like we were saying earlier, or something like that. You yeah, could have as a yeah. little trellic tower or something, you know, that they could yeah. all in.
0: Um, would you consider having a hive, Jules, in, in your if it, um, studio area? If, if, it was the, if it was the
1: right shape, yeah, I think it might be quite nice. You could have ones, um, Yeah, let me think what sort of shape you'd want. I mean, it would mm. be. I did have, which was a bit of a disappointment, the ant farm. which uh, you got on the back of american comics and anyway i did send off for somewhere and it was in the advert it appeared that you got a whole village where the ants and with a sort of town hall and a jail and a theater and restaurants and comfortable living facilities and everything and the ants all lived there and wandered around and then there was sort of sand underneath it and in the advert it looked like incredible and I should have known that for sort of $4.98 it wasn't going to be maybe as much as I'd hoped. And what it in fact was, <laughs> was a plastic, uh, a see-through plastic, uh, very thin sort of like little sort of like it was a window pane really, um, with a silhouette, just a plastic silhouette in the shape of a little town with the town hall <laughs> of it. And, and, then, and then sand below it and the ants burrowing around. And they didn't seem to have any regard for the... Buildings of doors that they just seem to climb all over it. Um, but it would be nice to have a thing for the bees, you know, which mm. we, we had changing rooms for them and a little park area. Maybe, mm. maybe a little railway that would take them from one hive to the other. Uh, they that, would
2: like know. that, but they they're a bit like the a bit like the ants. They they just what they do is they just cover everything in wax. As a very yeah. very early
1: on period of my life, one of the only mm. jobs I ever had that wasn't playing the piano, aged about seventeen was being a salesman taking sort of things like Johnson Wax into supermarkets. When when I was um, going into these supermarkets, very briefly in the 1970s, I mean, you didn't have to do much to say. You just went in and sort of looked at the shelves, saw what was empty, and then went up to the supermarket manager and said, oh, you're a bit short of this, this, and this. And then they'd sort of tick the box, and that was it, really. I just did it for two weeks. It's a temporary job. But one of the things I did, one of my sales gambits was, if if the bloke wasn't really interested, I said, oh, we've got, it's new, uh, Johnson's Wax here that you put on your furniture and it's like actually Mr Johnson's o- very best earwax because at the time I didn't realise that it was bees that, that, was, that were doing it. I thought it was <laughs> human wax. Um, but they, well, they would buy it anyway. Um, uh, um,
0: Mr Johnson had a lot of earwax. Enormous amount. And that's how they, he bees done, a, very,
1: he'd done very well out of it. He you know. became a
0: millionaire from his own ear wax. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, for instance, um, Harry Hill uh, kept bees and somebody said, is it for the honey? And he said, no, I'm I'm keeping them because I, I, I want their pelts.
2: Oh, did he make a bee outfit, a bee coat out of it? I then? think
1: that's what he was hoping to do, ultimately. It was going to take him some time, I think, yeah. Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah, or mm. well, maybe he could have some little slippers or a hat.
1: Oh, that'd be lovely, wouldn't it?
0: It really mm. would. I'd love that. Yes, nobody has. It. You'd think Lady Gaga would have done something with bees, wouldn't you?
1: Exactly. Maybe have little individual little gloves for each finger, with a little bee glove to to yes. warm each yes. finger. Oh, that
2: sounds oh. lovely. That oh, mm. does sound nice. Mm.
0: Well, I, th- I think that's another business we can go into, Jane. That is surprising, actually, that nobody's um, done anything with that. I affair. think if
1: anybody was to do it, it should be both of you. I, th- I can't think of anybody yeah. better.
0: Well, yeah. we had some fashion designers on not so long ago called Vin and Orme. We could have suggested that to them, couldn't we, Esther? Well, I think I did say I'd send them some
2: dead bees. Oh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, because they make mm. they make clothes out of mushroom skins and chestnuts and things like that. Mm. When you're lying in the bracken in the morning, you could be wearing mm. a little outfit like that, George. I could, you? yes,
1: just a, just a little thong made of of bee pelt.
2: Yes, um, but it I only would... really
1: want ones that have died sort of naturally or humanely. I don't want them. Hmm. I don't want them slaughtered just for my my purposes of vanity.
2: Well, in no. the summer, in the summer, they only live for thirty six days. So you is that get right? To, I didn't yeah. know
1: that. I thought yeah. it was a, it was for life, not just for the summer.
2: No, they only they've only got a few miles in them, and then they're
0: dead. Oh, and um, and the ones in the winter sometimes perish, don't they, Esther? When they're on the outside of the. Um
2: the hive
0: yeah. Well I suppose Um
2: the, the honeybees they they um yeah they they live for longer in the winter for about four months um but the ones on the outside if it gets too cold they might fall off but going back to the bumblebees the queen bumblebee she hibernates in you know a, a little bit of soil or some loose leaves or something so she she does stay alive over the winter the whole winter and then sometimes you see them don't you on a cold day you see them just coming out for a Wra- few minutes up. yeah all wrapped up in the bumblebee be coat and yeah they they can survive in the colder temperatures
1: and should we be worried about these these here chinese giant hornets
2: oh yes we should Mm, they are they are well in some countries in europe like portugal and spain you know they're seeing less wild flowers because um the the pollinators are all getting eaten up by these asian hornets Oof. So there's, this is a worry. Actually, we've we've we haven't had them on our allotment yet, but there's been a few cases in the UK. Oh dear. trying, yeah. So fingers crossed. <laughs> oh,
1: so that's my bee. It, it doesn't my pet bee. It barks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you.
2: That was so great. Oh, brilliant. Thank you, Jules.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. It's
1: lovely to yes, lovely to hear you. So you. Nice. We didn't have to lots do anything. Lots of love. Very nice to very nice to uh, hear you all both. Um, oh, and, so um, lovely, Jules. Thank um, yeah, you. Lots, Thank of, you love
0: so lots much. of love. Jane. Lots of love to you, Jules. Take hey, good care.
2: Queen Bees is written and created by Esther Coles and Jane Horrocks. It is produced by Claire Broughton and Andy Goddard, and partly recorded at the Hives on my allotment near Crouch End in London. Our title music is Sweet Nothing by Amy Mae Ellis and Will Cookson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Queen Bees Pod for pictures and videos from The Hive. Queen Bees is a hat-trick podcast.